Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show. You like flake tobacco? Well, this guy is the biggest flake in tobacco. Now, I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly pipe smoking broadcast. And I am your host, Brian Levine. And on this week's show, uh, in Pipe Parts, uh, going along with, uh, you know, going to a pipe show, I'm going to talk about how you and I can physically tell if a old tin of tobacco is okay. You know, is it okay to purchase? What's our best guess? All right, I'm going to give you a couple of things that you can look for you know so that maybe it maybe you might save a little bit of money and not buy the the wrong tin of tobacco but uh and then my guest is uh dr matt watson who we've heard of on the show before and he self-described him as one another one of those pretentious phd pipe smokers but he's really not uh and he's anyway you'll, you'll hear the interview it was a lot of fun uh, enjoyed that uh mailbag music rant all that coming up on this week's episode of the pipes magazine radio show and uh remember please itunes or apple podcast ratings and reviews are much 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 appreciated greatly appreciate those if you have any questions for jeff grasick for ask the pipe maker or for jeremy reeves uh send those to me brian b-r-i-a-n at pipesmagazine.com uh show suggestions you know Hey, we're coming up on uh, uh, we're coming up on finishing our tenth year here. So, uh, if you have a suggestion of something that you'd like to hear, maybe somebody you would like to hear from again, well, just let me know. Email me Brian at pipesmagazine dot com. Uh, it makes it more fun when I get those ideas coming from you guys. And you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of new pipe makers that I don't know of because they're on Instagram or out on the uh, social medias, as the kids say. Uh, and I'm learning a lot about them. Uh, but yeah, send those, send that to me. All right, let's get the show rolling. So everybody sit back, relax, fire up a bowl. Thank you all for tuning in. And here we go. There's nothing quite like fishing at dawn or smoking my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe. An American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. Check them out at corncobpipe.com. For over 150 years, Peterson has welcomed all pipe smokers. It's the preferred choice of the thinking man and the everyman alike, and our workshop too is a place of hospitality and warmth. Hi, I'm Glenn Whelan, and for me, Peterson is a family tradition I've known since my childhood. My dad, Tony Whelan Jr., worked at Peterson for 53 years, and has been my home since 2003. From sweeping our factory on a Saturday morning to managing our store, to now steering our international distribution, I've seen the craftsmanship poured into each Peterson pipe. It lives in Jason's discerning eye as he handcrafts our silver accents and in Wojciech's able hands as he carves our rustications. It abides in Willie's grading and in Warren's papering. Peterson has welcomed us as contributors to its legacy. And it's a welcome we always extend to you. Cade Mielefolge, 100,000 welcomes, wherever you come from, whosoever you be. Hey, 
And we are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show. All right. So a vintage tin or an old tin of tobacco and you're walking around at a pipe show or you see it at a flea market or an antique store or whatever. How do you tell if it's still good? All right. So there's the older the the older mass market cans like, you know, the Prince Albert cans and stuff like that. Um, The ones that have the permanent lid those are those are fine but when you get to the cutter tops and the uh, pop tops that's where it gets tricky and this works for even for uh, 15 20 year old premium pipe tobaccos like the flat round cans that a scudo and orlick come in or any mcbaron product can you know comes in uh, the flat rounds or the squares so uh, when you're looking at a vintage tobacco, let's, let's just say anything that's, you know, 25 years or older or something like that. Uh, when you're looking at that, the first thing you want to do is look at the condition of the label and that'll give you a clue as to how well it was stored. If the labels, you know, messed up, obviously it wasn't taken as much care of, uh, look at the condition of the tin. Is it dented in any way? All right. So far, so good. Because a dent, a dent in a can can break the, uh, you know, it can break the constitution of the can, and that can cause a leak in the lid. When you get to the older pop tops and cutter tops and pull tops and stuff like that, it, you can get a dent in the side, and that can, the way those cans seal is the lid is kind of folded over the top of the can, so that can cause a problem there. Uh, so, all right, is the can dented? And this works for all of them. Uh, does the lid feel secure? So if you've got a flat, a modern flat rounder or square tin, just, you know, give it a little push up and see if it moves or a little twist and see if it moves with some light pressure. Uh, I have heard of old tins that have been opened once or twice and then over time have resealed themselves, but they never seal themselves as strong as they've, uh, as they were sealed by the factory, but yeah, so give it a little feel. All right. If the lid doesn't wiggle, you're, you're good at that point. Now pick up the tin and shake it gently. Remember tobacco is packed moist, so it shouldn't sound like a baby's rattle or it shouldn't sound like a bunch of broken glass in a metal can. If it sounds like a baby's rattle or broken glass in that can, you know, odds are it's probably not in good shape. Uh, now, if it's a flake tobacco and you can hear it moving in there, well, that's going to sound different than if the flake is bone dry. It's going to have a different tone to it. So it's going to be a little lower tones because it's wet than the higher notes of the broken glass or the baby's rattle. Uh, so once you've done that, you know, if, it, if it's rattling loud, you know, and you still want to take a shot at it, negotiate a price you're comfortable with risking all right i've got two tins that i've been working on all summer that i bought at the naspc show last year that i knew they were compromised but it was 20 bucks a tin it was 20 bucks for one and 10 for the other and i was like you know what i'm gonna give them a shot and see uh, so i've just been letting them sit outside in the humidity all summer and we'll see what happens but uh so either way you want to do that you want to make sure and check the check for the rattle. Okay. Uh, check for the, you know, for the strength of the metal lid. 
is it still on there? Uh, on these older tobaccos, if it's really sealed, you should see some bulging of the lid. There should be some sort of bulging of the lid. All right. If you don't see bulging of the lid, it's probably been compromised. Uh, on a flat round, like the Orlick or Escudo, if that lid is not sucked down to where it's concave, yeah, concave where it's sucked in towards the tobacco, well, then that has been opened. If it's bulging out, that's bad on those flat rounds because that means that it's probably had something happen to it. Uh, McClellan tins, Cornell and Deal tins, if you see those bulges, you know you're good. If you don't see a bulge after <laughs> on a tin that's 10, 15 years old, well, you're probably in trouble. So, so look for the bulging lids. Uh, again, flat rounds are those, are those square Orlick golden slice tins. You want to see it sucking down into the tobacco, not bulging up. McClellan types, you want to see those bulging up. All right, that's the big difference. And when you're dealing with the square tins in particular, uh, pay real close attention to the corners because those corners can pop at any minute. Uh, and again, we've talked in the past about all the different, you know, different ways that the corners can change and wiggle and stuff. So, you know, the, those square tins are not meant for aging. If you're worried about a tin that you have at home, again, try the, uh, I know people that do aluminum foil and then a food saver vacuum seal or, you know, just a, a good plastic wrap around it to hold the edges down and spin it and tighten it down. Uh, but there you go. So look for the bulges, check the lids, listen for the rattle. Uh, if you're, if you're in a place where you shouldn't be smelling tobacco and you take a sniff of the tin and you can smell tobacco, there's another source. But that's not the best because sometimes other tins are stored around places where there's tobacco. So there you go. All right. Hope that helps. I uh, hope that helps you navigate the uh, pipe shows. And in just a minute, uh, my time with Dr. Matt. This is Internet Radio. Hi. I'm Jeremy Reeves, head blender of Cornell & Deal. We know pipe smoking is a personal journey. That's why our small team of blending and production experts take a personal approach in every step, preparing tobacco products just for you. We source top quality leaf through the personal connections we've made around the world, hand blend that leaf, and carefully package each tin. Each product, from special releases like our small batch line, to our most popular mixtures like Autumn Evening are made right here in South Carolina by professionals dedicated to providing the finest of smoking experiences. Lighting up a pipe is an exploration through evolving flavors, thoughts, memories, and even dreams. From our hands to yours, Cornell & Deal tobaccos are your passport for that voyage, provided by people who, like you, value the journey. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show, and joining us is a pipe smoker and a PhD, and his name happens to be Doctor Watson. So we're 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 going to find out if he's related to a certain uh, Professor Holmes, but. Uh, <laughs> uh, 
pipe smoker and uh and, and dr matt watson welcome to the pipes magazine radio show well thanks for having me brian how are you yeah so so uh, first of all let, let's talk about the reason why you know you're the one that wrote in about the um uh about the research that you've done in conjunction with uh anti-predatory mechanisms in plants mm-hmm. uh including a certain nicotiana tobacco that we all love and cherish and age and coddle and don't want bugs eating it but First, let's get to know you. Where did where did you grow up, and were you always interested in bugs and lizards and snakes and things that make us go ew? <laughs> yeah, I think I just grew up in the middle of all this stuff. I uh, hence the uh, the accent here. I grew up in Southeast Texas, which is actually a lot more like like what people would envision Louisiana than Texas. You know, bogs and bayous and all of that fun stuff. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I grew up in a, in a little county called Liberty County, a little town called Hull, Texas, a uh, small, small town, graduated with 35, uh, 35 uh, other students in my senior class. I was, I was number four in the class, and only half of me made the top 10%. So, uh, <laughs> so uh, yeah, I, I grew up immersed in the, uh, in the forest. I grew up surrounded by... Uh, by biology, which is what I ultimately ended up studying, and uh, and what I uh, what I love. So, what is your what's your actual PhD in? Because you also told us you were one <laughs> you are another one of those pre- pretentious pipe smokers with a PhD. Right. Yeah. My, my PhD uh, is in quantitative biology. So so basically, taking the things that that you know you may see and observe, and uh, and and quantifying it. So so you know translating them into some kind of numerical ways to be able to to compare them so basically it's just a, a biological statistics degree but uh it's pretty broad I, I find myself teaching a lot of things and, and all right so what do you normally what do you normally teach because i guess counting counting right. bugs would be the <laughs> professional thing yeah that's, so uh so now uh, you know there's a being somewhat of a jack of all trades, it, it can be a curse when you when you're working uh, in this kind of setting because I, oh well you know he could teach this or you know Matt could teach that so I, I end up teaching quite a quite a broad uh, uh, palette of of courses but uh, I'll be teaching herpetology this fall and which is the the study of reptiles and amphibians okay, and <laughs> yeah so I teach biometry which which is another uh, you know quantitative course. And let's see what else am I teaching? Vertebrate zoology, things like physiology. Uh, so you know, pretty broad, pretty broad groups. Ecology, and um, you know, a few years ago, I actually even taught a course in uh, the science and literature of Sherlock Holmes with a, with a friend over in the English department. So, uh, so yeah, I, I, uh, I do quite a bit in the classroom. So yeah, you're you're a um, you're a Sherlockian who's. Name is Doctor Watson. I'm sorry. I'm I'm going to keep playing on that for a while because I'm like a dog with a bone and a good trick. Um, oh, that's fine. <laughs> so when did when oh, yeah. was, when did the fascination with uh, with Sherlock Holmes come in? I guess it was probably it's only been probably fifteen years or so ago. I think uh, when when I really kind of found that uh, that type of literature writing. When I was younger, I read a lot. So I, I read most of the canon as a, you know, as a early teenager. But then, then I got really back into it 
so it's kind of one of the one of the things that kind of led me into into the uh, the pipe hobby, and uh, kind of the same way that I, I, I attack things is I find something really interesting that I don't know a whole lot about, and then just kind of obsessively go after it until I until I have a, a pretty good pretty good working knowledge. So I think I've probably done that to the to the point that my wife thinks I'm crazy with the uh, the pipe end of things. And uh, and I think I jumped both let both feet in with uh, with uh, Victorian detective novels and stories uh, a few years before that. So yeah, I'm I'm all in reading. I'll read anything uh, anything Sherlock Holmes or listen to it on tape because I drive a lot. So, but I mean that that jumping all in that that had to be a huge benefit when it came to you know sticking it out and getting a PhD and. Yeah, and and then obsessing over pipes and you know it's it's more it's more of a we we call it a character trait, not a bad thing. <laughs> right? No, it, it certainly is a uh, you know it certainly is a, a benefit when trying to learn a whole lot about something really quickly. Uh, and and it's been a benefit. It's been something you know I've done most of my life. I'm I'm a first generation uh, college student, so uh, so you know I've I have a uh, I have some obsessive goal-oriented behavior that I deal with, and uh, which is, is great when learning a lot of stuff. Sometimes people around you don't necessarily appreciate it as much, but, uh, <laughs> but no, it's it's it served me well when when it comes to learning new things. So uh, let, let's talk about the pipes for a minute. Uh, All right. Do you remember your first pipe and and uh, what the experience was like? I do, uh, and, and I still have the pipe, and it was a horrible experience. So uh, the uh, I, I I thought it'd be really cool, like a lot of people do, to, to have a church warden. And I thought, well, you know, we'll see. I uh, I don't want to don't want to put too much money into this to see if I, I like it or not. And I, I bought a, a really cheap one from uh, from an online uh, uh, retailer, and it. Uh, I mean, you might as well be sucking honey through a straw. This thing had had no draw. Um, it was <laughs> it was it was not a good experience. But it wasn't that much longer that I decided maybe I need to put a little bit of uh, maybe I need to buy something, uh, you know, for more than twenty dollars, and uh, and try try a real a real pipe. And and after that, I, I really uh, really got interested. And really, what what made it kind of blow up was uh, I found that I can get some really nice historic estate pipes that people may have slightly abused and, and uh, my uh, my ability to, to do some things in the workshop I can turn something that, that people might not appreciate as much into something that, that's really nice to have so uh, so that's really been, been the core of it the, probably the most enjoyable part of the entire hobby for me has been picking up old you know nasty looking pipes off of off of eBay or from uh, from antique shops and then bringing them home and, and cleaning them up and seeing what, what's under all the gunk. So, uh, so that's, you know, that's been, been one of the big drivers for, for the hobby and probably the part that I enjoy as much as any of the rest of it. So that just goes along with your obsessive deep diving into stuff. Cause you know, you figured, all right, I'll figure out how to clean these things and fix them up. Right, and you know the 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 uh, I've always been kind of crazy nostalgic as well. So uh, so this the pipe hobby it scratches a lot of itches for me. 
You are you are one complete oxymoron of small town, middle of nowhere, Texas. <laughs> That's uh, yeah. I kind of I kind of liked it. That though I uh, I I tried really hard when I was younger to fight this accent, and it just you know it just won't go away. <laughs> and and I learned to embrace it, and uh, I really you know I really enjoy. Uh, having grown up the way I did, but it, it's, you know, it's nice to be able to, to kind of jump into different, uh, to different worlds. Right. And that's one of the things that I, I really find enjoyable about the pipe hobby is, is it just really, really transcends worlds. Right. I mean, you know, yeah. we've got, you've got professors on here all the time. You, you know, you, you, there's, there's people from industry, there's truck drivers, there's just people from all over the world and all walks of life that enjoy this hobby. And, uh, and I think that's one of the more uh, the more enjoyable things that has drawn me to this. You, you're you're just proof that Texas has the Texas and the pipe hobby has the whole spectrum because you got people from all the way down as low as uh, Steve Fallon up to the highly educated like you, and you all sound the same. Uh, do you have a cowboy hat? Oh no, I've never been a. I, I don't own a, a pair of boots that doesn't have laces, and. Uh, and I, I don't have a cowboy hat. I've always, you know, I've always been trying to, trying to fight <laughs> stereotypes. Um, not that there's anything wrong with a cowboy hat. I've just, I grew up more of a, more kind of a, a backwoods country boy than a, than a, uh, a. Uh, You're not one of them fancy cowboy. urban cowboys, huh? No, no, that's that's certainly not me. <laughs> I'm tennis shoes and blue jeans. <laughs> all right we're going to take a break right here when we come back we'll uh chat more with uh dr watson in just a minute since its beginnings in 1876 savinelli has become more than just a pipe factory it's become a lifestyle from sourcing the finest mediterranean briar and partnering with local artisans to acquire unique accents to expanding their catalog each year with new, innovative series. Savinelli produces high-quality Italian pipes that serve as a reflection of your individual tastes. With a portfolio that ranges from rugged designs fit for the outdoors to elegant pieces destined for black-tie galas, Savinelli is more than a mark. They're a way to help you make your mark. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show visiting with the Dr. Watson of Texas, not the Dr. Watson of London or 221 Baker Street. Uh, so so we'll, we'll drop all that. Uh, but all right, Matt, so talk to us. Talk to me about the, uh, you know, we you, you sent in the email and it talked about how plants will do things that will fight back on their predators. But uh spell that out for me in english and how does you know what bugs are out there eating my tobacco and how is the tobacco protecting <laughs> itself well yeah the, the you know the research that i've done really has just been been pretty uh pretty small but the the broader uh research that's been done throughout the scientific community is just tobacco is a pretty amazing plant um and one of the reasons it's probably been used for this type of research is because it's, it's easily propagated. Yeah. And I bet a lot of that was learned, you know, from, uh, from industry. Um, but 
particularly the, the uh, what I'm interested in, right? I was, I was very interested in doing work with monarch butterflies and milkweed. Um, and we really needed a, uh, we needed to kind of get familiar with, with the, uh, the methods. And I was like, well, we can, we can grow tobacco and tobacco hornworms are really easy to get. So, uh, so we started doing some research there, some confirmatory research that, you know, we showed that, you know, whenever a, uh, when you put a, uh, a caterpillar on a, on a tobacco plant that starts eating, well, the, the tobacco plant starts upregulating uh, all these different, um, these, these different chemical reactions, likely building, uh, building up a big defense. And, and it'll do that when the caterpillar's on there, but if you take a hole punch and start punching holes in it, it won't do it to the same extent. So it actually recognizes the caterpillar. Huh. And then starts uh, starts building its defense. Uh, other research has been done, particularly with caterpillars. And there's, there's a few caterpillars that really, uh, a few different species. And, and caterpillars grow up to be uh, to be butterflies and moths, right? But most yeah. of these are, grow up to be moths that, that are attacking the uh, the tobacco plants. Um, so some other things that tobacco does, again, other people's research, but still like mind-blowingly cool right is that uh that the uh the plant will actually release these uh these volatile chemicals which are just airborne chemicals that call in wasps that actually lay their eggs in the caterpillar and then the their their eggs hatch and they start eating the caterpillar from the inside out so so they basically call in the cavalry right so so tobacco plants they recognize that that's what's eating them, which we don't think about plants being like that, right? I mean, we think about plants as being, you know, something just a little bit better than a rock, right? That's yeah. what most people think. But, <laughs> but in reality, they're recognizing chemicals in the saliva of these uh, these caterpillars and then mounting a defense against them. Uh, and one of the defenses would be to upregulate nicotine, right? So, uh, um, you know, that's that's one thing. But, but tobacco used all over there there was even i remember a few years ago when there was a uh, popular science article that that uh that showed a glow-in-the-dark tobacco plant i don't know if you remember that Mm-mm. but uh yeah so so you know one of the the kind of realms that that i don't do research in but that tobacco is used in is is called uh, transgenic uh research where they actually put genes from another organism into uh, 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 you know, in this case, tobacco, and what the tobacco plant will then make some kind of product or something that uh, uh, that now that DNA codes for that product. So that, that's probably the the one place that you see the most research using tobacco plants. But they're they're you know they're easy to grow um, because people have been growing them forever, right? And uh, they grow they like a weed around here. Medicine. Uh, they just grow right. like they, they grow like a weed around the, around the Carolinas. So. Oh yeah, yeah, and, and I was even out in the desert around Big Bend a couple of years ago, and I'm like, you know, this really looks like a tobacco plant. So I uh, I went back and uh, and and grabbed my field guide, and lo and behold, it's a it's an invasive tobacco plant that's growing out in the desert in West <laughs> Texas. Yeah. So the so. Uh-huh. For for us simpletons who aren't, uh, you know, who who are me, um, 
so basically the the nicotine in this plant in the tobacco plant is a defense mechanism to piss off whatever's trying to eat it right yes yeah, yeah certainly um and, uh, and and some of us that, that may get a little more nicotine than we're used to can can feel some of those effects but, uh, <laughs> yeah <laughs> but but yeah i mean it's 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 a it's a pretty good defense against uh, against these, these caterpillars although We've got a little bit of work to indicate that maybe just maybe a little bit of nicotine may not uh, may not necessarily be a bad thing for them, but we uh, we need to finish up some of that work. So basically, now what you're telling me is that Disney's Alice in Wonderland was right when the caterpillar was sitting there smoking tobacco. Yeah, that was tobacco. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> All right, so let's switch back to your pipe smoking. Um, is, is pipe smoking something that, I mean, is that just in the, in, I'm assuming you're, you're in Texas, so you have a truck. Uh, is that something in the truck while you're driving or is it, you know, just, is it an end of the day thing all day? Well, well, I, uh, you may be surprised to find out that I I no longer have a truck and, (gasps) and, uh, you know, yeah, well, I had one for a while and then a a tornado ate it. So, uh. So now there's there's no truck. We didn't replace it, but maybe one day, you know, I kind of feel, I feel like I'm not living up to, uh, not living up to my, uh, to my expectations without a without a truck. I actually drive a, uh, I drive a hybrid Camry. Oh God! Oh no! Oh. <laughs> but no, I, I do enjoy. That's probably uh, probably one of the places I enjoy a pipe more than anything. Is I've I've been making these crazy long commutes for years uh uh the last place i worked was about two and a half hours from where my family was so you know i'd, I'd drive that now for the last year i've been been driving down to to san antonio from the dallas area uh down there staying uh, during the week and working coming back we're about to move move down uh in, in a couple weeks actually but um but uh listening to uh to some some good pipe related podcasts and having a uh, <laughs> And having a pipe on the road, and even having a, having a pipe at the, uh, you know, at the end of the day after work on the way back. Th- those are those are some of the times that I actually enjoy it the most. I probably only smoke maybe three to five bowls a week, um, depending on how uh, how often my wife's away from the house. But uh, we won't we but, won't yeah, tell her. Yeah. <laughs> Good deal. Yeah, she may listen to this one since I'm going to be on it, but we don't know. Uh, well, in that case, since she's since she's listening, how many pipes do you own now? Oh, well. So when when you uh, when you first, I was I was the the first uh, little pipe collection that you uh, you uh, uh, went over on the on the on the show, and uh, I let's see, I've been collecting Guildhall and Everyman pipes. There we go. Yeah. Come on, second. Yep. And at that time, I had about seventeen. Now I'm pushing thirty of those. Uh, it's really hard for me to find something that's, you know, something cool pops up on eBay or something. It's really hard not to pick it up, especially since they're, um, you know, rel- you, you can get some relatively inexpensively. Um, but I can I'm probably sitting at about seventy-five or eighty pipes right now. But probably a good 20 or 30 of those uh, I need to throw up on on, uh, on eBay or sell elsewhere. Just something I got because I like to tinker with it, clean it up, and mm-hmm. 
not necessarily something I'm going to smoke, but something somebody else will really enjoy. And I found that some of the things that that I can I can pick up and clean up, like uh, like any K Woody will turn around and sell on eBay the next day. It's just crazy how fast things like that go. Well, and it's also a good way for you to find out if you like the pipe or if the pipe's perfect for you. And if it's not, you know, as long as you got the skills to clean it up and the time to do it, do it, sell it, and fund your hobby so your wife doesn't kill you. Right, right, yeah. It it, it works good in theory. <laughs> <laughs> I, I end up keeping a, keeping a, a lot of things that I find interesting, but... But really, it's uh, you know, it's kind of the next progression. Like I said, I try to learn everything I can about about something, and so I picked up, learned a lot about it, and now I'm you know getting my hands on it, learning some things about some things come to me that I have to completely strip down and restain, and so I'm learning some things. I really want to want to do some some stem work at some point. So uh, uh, and we'll we'll see where I where I end up going with this, but uh, but uh, but yeah, no, I really enjoy enjoy the hands-on part of things all right now let, let's switch to the little uh to the little four-legged things with tails and and uh and, <laughs> and lizard you know the lizard things um, right first of all i know the answer to this because i know some stuff but can you let everybody know what the what the true definition of the difference is between a lizard and a snake oh so interestingly enough um, a snake is a lizard. Yes. Okay. I mean, it's just a group. It, it's nested right in the middle. You know, if, if this was a big tree, uh, a snake would just be a branch on the lizard tree. Okay. There's some some things that uh, there's some things that snakes, you know, some some differences that snakes have from from other groups. But some lizards don't have some of these things. Like snakes don't have eyelids, right? Snakes have a a um, they have a clear um, a clear scale that goes over over their eye. Um, most snakes only have one lung. Obviously, snakes don't have have legs, uh, and uh, you know that's just a, a suite of, of different uh, of different characteristics that that would be what we call a snake. But in in you know in reality, snakes are just another group of lizards. <laughs> they're just lizards with no legs, and they're dumb. Uh... <laughs> So and then the lizards. I, I look. I live here in the Carolinas, and I like our little lizards that hang out around the house because I know they eat a ton of insects. Right. Right. Yep. So my my little uh, uh, my little friends, the fence lizards that live in our front, kind of on our on our flower bed all, along the driveway. You know, they're they're our buddies, and we try not to hurt them. Uh, Am I am I correct in the understanding that like one adult little fence lizard can eat like a couple hundred ants a day? Oh, I, I, I bet that that wouldn't be a, something small like an ant or something like that. I'm sure they can just eat all day. Um, so yeah, yeah, you you're correct there. They're they're feeding on a lot of the things, roaches. You know, roaches, things that we may not not find desirable to have around the house. Uh, lizards are just chomping those things like crazy right so uh so it, it's I, I i can't imagine a scenario where someone would not want a lizard around their house right i mean that's just that's just crazy talk <laughs> i can't imagine a i can't imagine a person that wouldn't want to smoke a pipe you know that's just <laughs> right and I, I see them every day i don't know how i'm walking around with these people <laughs> yeah 
Yeah. Um, what are some? Uh, I don't know. I don't even know how to ask this, but on your on your website, which is uh, WatsonEcoLab.com, um, there's a cute little wild hatchling lizard that you have. I'm I'm assuming that's your thumb there. That it's like the size of a thumbnail. Probably. Yep. Uh, it's a uh, fibro Firinosoma. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, most people are going to call those horny toads. That's They're a horny. horny that's what I yep. thought it was. It's that's cute. A, yep. Yep. That's a that's a baby horn lizard. So uh, they and they eat ants almost exclusively, and a lot of them, like nine hundred to a thousand a day. It's crazy. All right. So how do Probably I get how do I get those how do I get those to live in the Carolinas, and how do I keep them around my house? Oh, well, you know, that's, that's actually funny you said that. There is a population of Texas hornets, and I, I, I should have, I can't remember exactly where it is, but it's, it's, in, it's in a coastal area in the Carolinas because someone picked them up and moved them over there, and there's actually a, 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 a breeding population living in, in the Carolinas. Um, but they wouldn't do well all over. Right, and that, that's typically not a good idea to pick up animals and move them around. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but no, they, they're they're real, they're actually in the same in the same group as the uh, the fence lizards oh, okay. that you have around your house. So yeah, they're they're very close relatives. They're uh, they're and and they have some conservation concerns. So that's why we work with them. They they eat ants, which which we know also from some research in the lab that they really don't they're not very efficient at getting energy from those animals. So they eat a whole lot of them. Right. So, uh, they're, they're not, uh, they're ant specialists, but we also found that they eat a lot of other things. Most people just think they just eat ants. They so, kinda, uh, so they... yeah, that's, that's the interest there. And some of the other, the, you know, like the fence lizards you were talking about, uh, we use that group as a model to study the evolution of live bearing. So, you know, not laying eggs, but actually laying living babies. And, and we do that in our lab as well. We're looking at, at a number of different physiological and biogeographical variables to, um, to see, you know, how, how that has evolved. Because in mammals, you know, we think, oh, well, you know, every, everybody has live babies. And we know that some mammals do it a little differently, but it's something we think is really ubiquitous. But, the reality is it only evolved once in mammals and in reptiles and amphibians. It's evolved a hundred and something times. So it's, they, they're perfect for uh, lizards, especially lizards and snakes are, are perfect for uh, for studying things like that. Hold on. So you mean my little fence lizards out here aren't laying eggs somewhere? They're having live births? No, yours are laying eggs. Okay, good. Uh, but yeah, yeah, yours are laying eggs. There's, there's a, a species here in Texas and a few over on the West Coast that um, are a little higher elevation. That that tends to be the uh, the you know colder temperatures and higher elevation is where we see the species that, that give live birds. But you have snakes there that don't lay eggs. I mean, you know the the water snakes and the and the garter snakes there. They're just dropping babies out there. Yeah, well, you go back on my Facebook page, you'll see a couple of years ago where we had two uh, two black rat snakes making babies in our backyard, and we watched them All for right. 45 minutes well yeah you got the show for free huh oh it was uh, <laughs> uh, yeah we were quite impressed um so uh 
from a basic ecological standpoint, what can we as the listeners do simply to help the lizard population and not kill them? I'm assuming, you know, pesticides and don't run them over. Yeah, well, you, you know, those are those are good. But I'll tell you, the one thing that probably kills more lizards uh, or kills at least a significant number of lizards is, is outdoor cats. And, uh, and, you know, the outdoor cats kill a bunch of things. They kill lizards, they kill birds. They're, they really cause a lot of issues, uh, ecologically. So, you know, one, one of the things we could do is, you know, let your house cat be a house cat and, uh, and, you know, not let them, let them run loose. Now, I'm saying that as somebody who grew up with the old proverbial barn cat, right? That, yeah. that kept the rats at bay. But, uh, but, you know, in, in, uh, in reality, that, that cat that we kept out in the barn to, uh, to eat rats was probably actually eating more lizards and, and birds than than what we thought it was. So uh, so that that's probably one of the one of the best things that listeners can do. And you know just you know I, I also grew up around the same folks that always said uh, the only good snake's a dead snake, and and that's that's not the case. You know I mean snakes are eating rodents uh, and, and other pests, and they're yeah. most of them most of them are completely harmless. So you know it's. It's not that hard to just, uh, you know, learn the learn the three or four snakes in your area that you have to worry about and just keep your distance from them. And, you know, most people that get bitten by, by snakes are uh, are people that are trying to kill them. So, you know, if you just let them be, you'll be fine. Yeah, we got a, we got a rule around here. Snakes are good outside. Snakes are <laughs> uh, snakes are not good inside. So as long as, as long as they stay outside, we're perfectly fine. But. Uh, Dr. Watson, we will wrap this up with the fast five final questions. No right answer, no wrong answer, just whatever comes to your mind. Are you ready? Yeah, let's do it. So what is your favorite pipe? <laughs> well, that's a hard one, but uh, I, I know my, my favorite shape is probably a pot because it's really simple and utilitarian. Um, you know, to, to me, it's just like a, a perfect machine for just burning tobacco. So, but... Uh, but you know my my favorite. You know I really like the uh, the the little seven L dry system pipes, and uh, because every every time I light one of those things up, I, uh, I it, it it's one of those pipes that just takes you takes you to a different place. You know it, it doesn't need relighting very much. It's a nice dry smoke, and it's you know the the one I, I think I used the the six fourteen, which is a bent uh, when I'm reading a lot. I, uh, you know, I can see right over and don't have to worry about it obstructing. So, um, so yeah, I, I love pots, uh, I, but, uh, but I have a special place in my heart for that, that 7 Ellie dry system 614. And what is your favorite tobacco? That's another tough one. Um, my tastes are, are really broad. So, uh, you know, I, there, there's a couple of, of aromatics that I actually like, and there's, there's a number of, uh, I, I really like I like uh, Balkan and English blend. So, um, I was lucky enough to get a tin of a Balkan Sobrani, and I've been metering that thing out for for <laughs> over a year now. Uh, you know, like it's gold or something. But my everyday smoke's probably Father Dempsey. Uh, but yeah. but it's really hard to hard to beat uh, fishing with a with a corn cob pipe and with a, a bowl of a all at golden slice. So, I. Uh, I don't have a number one answer. I, I like those. So. <laughs> it's a good thing I didn't ask you what your favorite lizard is. 
Um, I know, yeah, you would be here for another another episode. So, what is your favorite drink? Black coffee. I, uh, I'm a I'm a two pot a day coffee drinker, if not more. So, uh, so that's just life is is waking up and drinking coffee and waking up the next day to do it again. I, I'm right there with you. Now, <laughs> <laughs> uh, instead of asking you when it's time to relax, do you prefer a book, a movie, or music? I'm going to ask you. Besides the Sherlock Holmes stories, what is your other favorite Victorian era uh, mystery, whatever, whatever you want to call them? Oh, oh, that's a that's a good question. I just I just finished a. Uh a series by uh, by Charles Todd that that uh, follows a uh, a World War One veteran slash detective named Ian Rutledge, and that's a that's a really good series. And I'm currently reading a a, a series by Charles Finch uh, that follows a a, uh, a detective named uh, named Charles Lennox. So so those are probably my two uh, my two favorites uh, right now to read but uh but interestingly enough uh you know sherlock holmes had a brother named mycroft holmes and kareem abdul jabbar and a uh, and a, a co-author anna anna waterhouse i believe is her name uh they've been writing a series of novels uh surrounding mycroft holmes and that's been a really fun series to read uh so uh so yeah I'm, th- those are those are what i, I keep and uh, you know, keeps me busy right now. Wow. <laughs> Kareem. <laughs> Seven foot something. Yeah. Um, and but, then, yeah. And then finally, do you have a favorite pipe smoking related memory? Besides obviously coming <laughs> on the show here with me. But. <laughs> yeah, well, this, this, is the, this is the pinnacle, right? Um, actually, it's, it's probably a little embarrassing, but, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a fun story. Yeah. I, uh, so there, there's, I haven't been doing this long enough where I've developed a very strong tolerance for, for you know, good tolerance for strong, uh, strong tobacco, and uh, particularly with Perique. I love the flavor of Perique, but, but you know, a, a, a really strong tobacco with a lot of Perique really gets my head swimming. And I, I went and visited a friend in Miami last year. And after uh, after a couple bowls of uh, of uh, I forget which one it was the bite by night I believe um, I ended up waking up on the floor of his bathroom uh, like I was <laughs> you know on some drinking bender so uh, <laughs> that, that's one of those <laughs> we really didn't drink much that night it was just God I I don't know there's some there's something associated. With uh, with you know a, a, a high uh, nicotine content and perique that just just uh, makes my head swim and uh, and uh, he reminds me of of having to come uh, come pick me up off of his bathroom floor uh, <laughs> after just smoking a couple bowls of tobacco so that, that put me off smoking tobacco for for about a week. <laughs> uh, you didn't. But, you... Uh, but, um, uh, you didn't wake up with a wasp trying to lay eggs in you, did you? Oh no, but uh, but I'll tell you, I, I'm sure I, I dreamed uh, I dreamed all kinds of crazy stuff. But uh, yeah, it's a <laughs> it can uh, uh, it could it could do some funny things to you. 
it's very similar to whenever I I, uh, I tried Copenhagen back when I was in college because uh, that's what most people around me did was they used smokeless tobacco, and uh, and that that turned out very similarly. So uh, so I've had some uh, I've had some some rough run ins, maybe like a like a uh, a caterpillar might <laughs> associated <laughs> with some strong tobacco. <laughs> Well, Dr. Charles Matt Watson, uh, the website again is watsonecolab.com. You can see some of the stuff he's doing out there. Thank you very much for coming on and joining me. It was fun. And we'll be back in just a minute. Take a look at your pipe rack. Are all those briars and mirrors constant companions in your rotation? Or are there some that you gravitate to more than others? Are there some that you simply don't smoke anymore? Through SmokingPipes.com's estate trade program, you can transform those underused pipes into immediate cash or store credit. Just send us your pipes and we'll unpack, inspect, and evaluate them based on extensive market research and over 20 years of experience. Then we'll contact you with a detailed offer for your choice of cash or store credit, valid on any items in our vast selection of pipes, tobacco, cigars, and accessories. If you're not happy with our quote, we'll return your pipes free of charge to domestic addresses. It's that simple. Join the thousands of Smoking Pipes customers who have benefited from this program and start your trade today by contacting us at 888-366-0345. That's 888-366-0345. This is Internet Radio. And we are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show. And again, you know, just a just a great variety of people in this pipe smoking hobby, you know, including a guy running around Texas picking up lizards and stuff like that and knows a little bit about tobacco, too, and knows about Sherlock Holmes. So anyway, all right, for music, nothing pipe related this time. Uh, but when I was a teenager back, you know, back then, kids, uh, Billy Squire was my guy. That was the, you know, he was, he, he was my guy and, uh, and I liked everything he did. And, uh, he had a guitar player named Jeff Golub who went on to become a fairly well-known jazz and, you know, blues guitar player in his own right. But, uh, this song in particular is one of my favorites. It's from the Emotions Emotion album and it's called She's a Runner. No resistance, it's 
And if you really listen to that song, there's an awful lot going on in there. And a lot of uh, it builds up and builds and a lot of parts are added in. So uh, Billy Squire, Emotions in Motion is the album. She's a runner. What in the hell? You've got mail. And remember, if you have a comment or question, you can email it directly to me, Brian at PipesMagazine.com. That's B-R-I-A-N at PipesMagazine.com. And uh, talking about pipe shows, just announced the Capital Land Pipe Show, October 1st of 2022. That's in Albany, New York. For any pipe show information, you can go directly to PipesMagazine.com and click on the pipe show link there, and you'll see the entire list of them right there in front of you. Uh, going back to uh, last week's show, uh, Dino says, Jeremy, as usual, made a complicated process easy to understand while being both informative and entertaining. Dan's music is always a treat. I really like this symphony and particularly this movement. As for your rant, amen. Thanks, Dino. And of course, if you want to support the artist, you can always go online and buy the CD. And that's how a lot of these artists make some money nowadays. Uh, and then also regarding Jeremy, uh, Sir Yak says, always enjoy Jeremy on the podcast. And Mrs. Pickles says, loved hearing Jeremy go inside baseball with the with USDA tobacco leaf grading. This is something I've been curious about for a while and was delighted to see it the focus of the discussion. Glad you liked it. Uh, Pipe IT said, I'm certainly not, not the all-knowing about Jeremy. It's the first time for me to see him pictured with clay pipes. Uh, clay pipes are the way a lot of tobacco blenders use for taste testing. Yeah, and sampling. And then uh, J.M. Smitty 6 says, Thank you, Brian, for sharing my question and Jeremy for such an interesting and historical answer. I've always found it fascinating in discussions with pipe smokers about good leaf and bad leaf and what goes into a blend, but it was great to get some background knowledge as to how all of it goes from seedling to the tins I open and enjoy. Thank you again, and I'll be seeing everyone at the NASPC show. Yeah, he'll be there on Friday. Uh, and, and here's a little bit for you too bad leaf ends up going to cigarettes or chewing tobacco uh jn jn dyer says uh too bad i never find any stray hundred dollar bills in the cornell and deal blends <laughs> i think jeremy keeps those uh streeper 541 said excellent show with great information so yeah again that i mean there was a lot of information in that show there and a lot of that was right off of Jeremy's cuff. So, uh, VegasPipeShow.com. Yeah, the little show that Dave Peterson and I are putting on October 21st, 22nd, and 23rd at the Palace Station in Las Vegas, Nevada. Show admissions. Go online, <clears throat> book your admission in advance because everybody that books before uh, the end of September gets entered into a drawing for a four pipe set. And these are four different artisans that are putting this set together. These are artisan made pipes. And the only way to get entered is to make your purchase for your show admission online at vegaspipeshow.com through PayPal. Uh, remember your admission gets you into the show, uh, into the smoking lounge on Friday night, all day, Saturday and Sunday from uh, 10 a.m. to about 3 p.m. 
uh, you get a drink ticket and a free gift and a little goodie on top of that. So go to VegasPipeShow.com. All the information is there. Book your show admissions $40 in advance. All right. And again, comments, questions, email me, Brian at PipesMagazine.com. And rant time is coming up next. This is Phil Morgan, General Manager of Missouri Meerschaum Corncob Pipes in Washington, Missouri. Our mission since 1869 has been to produce great smoking pipes that anyone can afford. We guarantee our pipes won't be your most expensive, but they just might be the ones you smoke the most. At Missouri Meerschaum Company, we don't just sell our corncob pipes. We grow them, make them, and smoke them. Missouri Meerschaum, Washington, Missouri, since 1869. talk about toilets please all right let's talk about toilets in particular highway gas stations restaurants you know those kinds of toilets the ones along the road well you know that if you're along a major u.s interstate and uh, you're going to get a lot of traffic coming off the interstate and one of the things that they're going to need is the restrooms bathrooms toilets facilities whatever you want to call them they've got all cut names now when you know when we're traveling i try to use the the rest areas because they're easy you jump off you go you do your thing you get some water you get back on and go every once in a while you're you know you need to use a gas station or a restaurant well here's my advice to you because this has happened to me a couple times in the past uh if the rest if the if the gas station doesn't care enough to even maintain the bathroom and the bathroom is so scary that in one particular case i wanted to burn my shoes when i got out of there but instead i just drug them across the parking lot you know scraping my feet and scuffing it off uh, you know what i'm not gonna i'm not gonna give you any money while i'm there because you don't care about your toilets so i don't care about your business there you go uh, maintain the bathrooms if you are if you are a gas station or a restaurant that is off of a major interstate and you get a lot of people traveling through and you want their business well maintain <laughs> maintain the bathrooms that's all i gotta say had if bathrooms are clean i feel like i should stop in and buy a drink or two and maybe a snack yeah you know a donut or a muffin or something and a cup of coffee so three four or five bucks whatever it is you don't care about your toilets? I don't care about your business. I'm not doing it. All right, there you go. <laughs> Once again, please keep sharing out the Pipes Magazine radio show wherever you are. Apple podcast ratings and reviews are much appreciated. Uh, thank you very much to Matt for joining me. Thank you all for tuning in. And until next time. The clouds when we're together, just 
Sing a song and think about sunny weather. Happy Oh, this is gonna be fun. We can stay up late, swapping manly stories, and in the morning, I'm making wild.